Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. for all of our moms, if you're here today, would you please stand for us so we can see who's a mom in this place? Thank Yeah, show them some love today on Mother's Day. So for you ladies, uh, you can have a seat. Thank you so much. You ladies today, there are chocolate-covered strawberries that are out in the foyer. Those are our gift to you, and uh, can't wait till it's Father's Day. We usually have chocolate-covered bacon, but for you ladies, it's chocolate-covered strawberries, so please... Make sure you snag a plate on your way out today. That is for you. And thanks to all the mamas, mamas here, because without all the mamas, 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 making references that most of you are not getting, which is fine. (coughs) Tupac. (coughs) Anyway, (laughs) we're thankful to have you, because without you, we literally would not be here. So uh, anyway, today, uh, after service also, I I know that Tim talked about during the announcements today that there's... Our shindig, our birthday shindig, is next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. Please make plans to be here. We'd love to have you here. We celebrate two years and, you know, the incredible beginnings God has given us to all the way to here today. Is just, is, we have a lot to celebrate, and so there's going to be lots of cake. You bring cake, but uh, there's a video that we're going to air, and if you'd like to be part of the video, we would like to have you be a part of the video. So just stop by the cafe after service. You don't have to rehearse anything. There's just a, there could be a chalkboard, and uh, actually mine, mine says, it says, because of Simple Church, I, and, uh, and I wrote down, uh, I get to write on this chalkboard. And that was, all right, so that didn't go over very well. That's fine. (laughs) Anyway, be part of the, be part of the video for the shindig. That'd be great. Uh, You just head out to the cafeteria afterwards. So, all right, announcements over. We are in the middle of a series. We are, we are on our fifth week in the series called Not a Fan. What If it's your first week here or if you haven't caught up or you missed some time, let me explain what this series is all about. And the goal of this series is really just to figure out how do we become followers of Christ. Because I think we all start off following Jesus and we, we follow in his footsteps. But at some point in time, we kind of get lulled into the slumber of being a fan. What's a fan? Well, a fan is, is somebody who knows a lot about, like, a, if you have a favorite team, you, you know a lot about your team. You know the players' names. You may even know, like, the players' salaries. You may know what they do in their personal time, what their kids' names are, where they live. You may even have used Google Earth to zoom in on the size of house they have. You know a lot about somebody, creeper. Anyway, and you are a fan. You're a fan. You, you really enjoy them, but you are not doing what they do, right? Because if you were, then you'd be a follower. You'd be on their team. You'd be down on the football field playing in this scenario. We are imagining a football team. So if you were a fan of a football team, you'd be up in your seat waving your flag, your big foam finger, and having a great time cheering them on, but you would not be a partaker in what they are doing. But to be a follower, you'd, you'd be doing what they do. And so when Jesus came, it's very important that we kind of separate out what it means to be a fan versus being a follower because Jesus didn't come to make fans. He didn't care if he had popularity. He didn't care if you knew all about him. What he was looking for was people to follow him, to live a life as he lived. In fact, before he left, he told his disciples, his apprentices, his followers, 
He said, go make other followers. Go baptize them and make other followers. That's the greatest command that we have from him was to make other followers. And so Jesus came to make followers, not people who liked his ministry, not people who were a fan of the healings. He wanted people to follow in his footsteps and do what he did. So that's what this series is all about. During the first week, we kind of decided what a fan or a follower is, and we're continuing in that vein and understanding more about what it looks like to be a follower. The second week, we talked about who was invited to be a follower, and Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, and anyone means everyone, and so we learned we all are invited to follow Jesus. The, the third week, we talked about intimacy, because as a follower, God requires us to be intimate with him. See, he knows you. He knows all about you. He knows your brokenness. He knows your sins. He knows every follicle on your head, every hair that you have. He knows you intimately, and he wants you to know him the way that he knows you, to know and be known completely. It's this invitation to into me see intimacy. And that was the third week. And then last week, Tim Tool came and brought the heat, talked about comfort. Boy, we love some comfort, don't we? We chase after. We like comfy chairs. We like air conditioning. We like comfort. We enjoy that. And we, we run from anything that is uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable chairs. We don't want to sit there. We run from things that are uncomfortable. But the cross, the invitation to follow Jesus comes with an invitation to pick up a cross and die. And we look at the cross and we find comfort in the cross because the, the cross has become this symbol of comfort. It's peace. It's joy. And so we hang them on our walls and we hang them around our necks and we tattoo them on our bodies and we go, that's comfort. But the cross in Jesus' time would have been anything but comfortable. It represented a sign of being cursed. It represented a sign of shame and extreme pain and agony. And Jesus invited us as a follower to take up our cross daily and to follow him. This isn't just a Sunday thing. This is, hey, give up your rights. Give up your, 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 um, your right to be angry at somebody. Give up your right to, re- to give revenge. It's, it's all about sacrifice. And he's called us to that every day. And that makes us uncomfortable when we think about that. So we talked about comfort. You can listen to all these on our podcast, or there's an app for that. You can get the app and listen to it on the app and catch up with us. This week, we're going to talk about the rules. I love the rules. How many of you guys like the rules? The rules are good things. They're great. When you play games, the rules are great, right? Because they they tell you how to win the game. They put put in a set of, of... barriers that everybody has to abide by in order for the game to be played successfully. I abide by the rules when I play games, always, and I can't stand it when people don't, unless I'm playing spoons. When I play spoons, I cheat like a madman. If you've ever played spoons with me, you will never catch me, but I do cheat the entire time. It's the only game that nobody will ever see where I'm cheating. It's too busy. You don't know what spoons is? You need to play with me sometime, and I will cheat. But other than that, I don't cheat it. I don't cheat any other games. And rule breakers really bug me. It's just something inside of me when somebody breaks the rules because, you know, I abide by the rules. And so when somebody breaks the rules, it just really irritates me. Like yesterday, I was sitting, I was sitting at Chipotle with my wife, and um, we were, we were I, was, I was having my salad. I mean, the world is good when you're at Chipotle, amen? Like, seriously. Everything is great. And I'm sitting there, and I'm eating, and, uh, and I'm facing in a direction. I'm, I'm looking at the parking lot. The worst thing about going to Chipotle, or the, the, the most difficult thing, is not waiting in line and getting your delicious food. It, th- that's not it. It's not even the price, how the prices continue to go up over the years. I don't even care about that. Don't get me started there. That's not the issue. The difficulty with Chipotle anymore is before you even get into the building. It's with the daggone parking lot. They have this small location, right? And they do, I don't know if they do this intentionally, 
just to make like everybody irritated before they get in so that you make like some bad decisions when you get into Chipotle. I have no idea what the goal is, but there never seems to be enough parking when you go. Like yesterday I'm sitting there and I'm eating, I'm eating and I'm, I'm enjoying it. The world is good. I'm happy. I'm in a good place. And I look out to the parking lot and there are two empty spots. It's 1130, which is crazy to me. And I even make a comment to my wife. It is silly to me that we got through lines so fast and that it's a Saturday at 1130 and this place isn't packed. It's the second busiest Chipotle in the city. In the city. I know that because I love Chipotle. I'm a fan. <laughs> it's true. And I'm watching, and there's this parking spot, and I know how frustrating it is to find parking at Chipotle. And there's these two spots right next to each other, and I watch as this chick, oh, dude, I could not believe it, pulls into the parking spot right in the middle of the two spots. Right? Offer her up to the people. You know what I'm saying? Like, somebody needed to be stoned. Like, like take her down. Because it's like, it's like coming to church on a busy Sunday and seeing that only two empty spots are right here and me sitting right in the middle of them and just enjoying that. You know what I mean? That's how it was to me. And I was so mad. I'm sitting there on the front row or sitting there in my seat looking out the window. I could not believe it. I got so, like, oh, irritated inside. And I'm said something to my wife. I said, look at that. That's ridiculous. I cannot believe it. She got out of her car, and I'm just grumbling the whole time. I'm just, you know, I should be enjoying my, my deliciousness, my food. But I'm irritated. She's broke the rules. She's walking into the building. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Keep on walking. That's right. As soon as she got into the building, I stopped talking because I knew I was just going to, I was going to lose my ever-loving mind. You guys aren't going to want to come to church here next week after this, for sure. Everybody listen to the podcast. That guy has got issues. Yes. Yes, I do. But I didn't say anything to her. I said something to my wife and just kind of grumbled about it. And then it went back to, you know, the world became good because I started eating again. She broke the rules. When I was younger and people break the rules, especially like in a movie theater, like when you, when you go into a movie theater, you're supposed to be quiet. You turn your cell phone off and you're supposed to be quiet. You're supposed to enjoy the movie. Now, I don't mean like, you know, oh, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> All that's acceptable. You know, that's fine during a movie. But for you to sit there and go, yeah, oh my God, I cannot believe it. Can you believe you did that? Did you see what happened on Facebook? Having a full-on conversation? No. <laughs> no, you got to go. <laughs> I can't have it. And so these people are, are talking. When I, was, when I was younger, I want to say my, when my wife and I first got married, she used to just tolerate it. But then she saw me. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you this is a good thing, but... People sit and talk, and, and this one time there was this whole front row of people. And so, you know, you're watching the screen, but you're distracted because they are just having a time. And it's this whole row of teenagers. I got up out of my seat. I got so irritated. I got up out of my seat. Because it's fine if you want to talk and you paid my way in, but I paid to be here and you're ruining my experience. So I walked down to the front, and I'm like, listen, if all y'all don't shut up, I'm going to drag you out of here. I'm going to kick you out. They said, yes, sir. Are you the manager? And I looked at them and I said, Yes. In street clothes, we hide now. And then just to trick them, I walked out the door and then walked back in the other door so they didn't see me and go back up to my seat. <laughs> I'm no dummy. There was another time at Easton at the movie theater. We were, we were coming out of the theaters. And if you ever go to the movie theaters at Easton, they have these little things on your exit. When you, when you come out, they have these little whoop, they go like this, and they spread so that you can walk through them, right? So that you exit, and they don't have to have anybody there guarding that section. So they got sensors, and whoop, you go through, and then they close behind you. We come out of the movie theaters, and we come down this stairs, and it kind of brings you to a landing that's on the second, the second level of Easton. And uh, 
I'm standing there with my wife, and we're talking about the movie, and yeah, this is great, and the kids are high-fiving, we're having a great time, and I look at there's these two little boys, and they start going up the stairs. No, there's no reason to ever go up the stairs at the exit to the movie theater unless you're trying to sneak in. There's no reason. There's no entrance there. There's nobody there that's going to let you in, and these guys go up the stairs, and they find the pole right next to the boop. I don't even know what to call those, the exit, <laughs> uh, the boopers, these, these things, and they're standing there waiting, and somebody comes, and I'm watching them. It's like, honey, check this out. And the thing spread, and the person walks through, and they darted for him, but they closed before they could get there. They went back to their hiding spot, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go take care of this, right? So I walk up the stairs, and I'm like, hey, I know what you guys are trying to do. You're trying to sneak into the movies. Come on. I want you out of here now. They looked at me and said, yes, sir. Do you mean like out of Easton or just out of here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then they took off, man. They went, and... Um, I'm not a security officer at all, but they didn't know that. And so, so, so I get a little indignant when people break the rules. I just, it, it wasn't like it was my movie theater. It's not like it was costing me money. But like I look at things and, and I know that, that for evil to persist, it's because good men stand around and do nothing. So I took it upon myself to do something. And I think we all, if we're being a little honest, we all kind of get that way, right? Whenever we see somebody breaking the rules, we get a little irritated by it because we're following the rules. This is, this is where we live. We know this place. This is, this is the safe place. If we all abide by the rules, then everything will be fair. And so we get irritated with people when they break the rules. And if you're like me, you'll do something about it. But what's funny is as much as we don't like it when people break the rules, when it comes to life, we've, we've all broken the rules. We've all broken the rules in some way or another. In fact, the Bible says that all of us, that's every single one of us in this room, me included, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We've all sinned. And because of that, whenever we sin, whenever we break the rules, that grace that we refuse to give others when they break the rules becomes a hot commodity. It becomes that one thing that we want for sure, right? We want grace when we break the rules. When I was a young man, I, I, I broke the rules. I was about 20 years old, and I was serving in a church in a youth ministry. And I, and I broke the rules. Step by step, I kind of started inching away from God. Next thing I know, I, I wound up getting a girl pregnant. And when I went back to church, you know, I went and I told my leadership, I knew what I was supposed to do. Go, you go before your mentors and before your leaders. You confess your sin. It's James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. You can be healed. This is what I was seeking. Some love and some guidance. And my leadership turned on me because I broke the rules. My mentor turned on me. Didn't speak to me for 10 years after that. And when God reunited us and mended that relationship, he said, I'm sorry because you broke the rules and I was mad at you because you'd broken the rules. When I walked away for that day, I remember not coming back for a long time. In fact, I had a conversation with God that went like this, and I've shared this many times. I said, God, because of your people... Because of this, I don't want anything to do with your people. And in fact, by virtue of that, that means I don't want anything to do with you. And I know many of you in this room have been in that place before. You've been in a place where God's people pushed you away. They rejected you. They wagged their finger in your face and said, you broke the rules. And they've pushed you away from Jesus. There's other people, very famous people, who have been in this position. Mahatma Gandhi was one of them. He said, and I quote, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. When fans follow the rules, 
and not the person of Jesus, people get hurt. People turn away from God. That's why it's important that we understand that being a follower is way more than the rules today. So we're going to jump into the scriptures. We're going to be in John 8 today. If you need a Bible, don't go another day without a Bible. Let us give you one. We have one. If you just put your hand in the air, a service host will give you one. The verses will also be up here on the screen, but I can't stress the importance of owning a Bible. You need to read it. So if you need one, we give you one, but we're going to be in John 8, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read through the passage quickly, and then we'll just talk about what's happening there, okay? It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, Jesus, or, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is out without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down on the ground and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Jesus declared, oh, excuse me, she says, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. So here's what's happening. Jesus has gone into the courtyard, which was his custom, and he's going and he's going to teach. He's, he's going to teach about God's love. He's going to teach and call people to repentance. This is Jesus' custom. This is what he's going to do. And his, his teaching is interrupted by an angry mob. They show up. And they're going to try to trap Jesus. See, these are the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. They, they couldn't stand Jesus because Jesus was gaining popularity. He had tons of people following him, probably more than each one of them had. He was healing people, and they wanted to catch Jesus and do away with him as soon as possible. Because Jesus was teaching about God's grace, about the kingdom of God. And along with this angry mob comes a woman who they are pushing and shoving along. A woman that they say they caught in the middle of adultery. She's, in other words, she's, she was with a man who was not her husband. And they caught her. They caught her in the act and they dragged her. As they're dragging her, they probably, if they caught her in the middle of the act, she probably has nothing on but a sheet. And they throw her to the ground in front of Jesus. That's the scene. And they say to Jesus, we found this woman in bed with a man that was not her husband. The law says we stone her. What do you say? This is a pushy move by these religious leaders because they're looking to use the rules to try to trap Jesus. And I think the rules can do that to us. I think the rules can turn us into an angry mob. Now, certainly we're not going to grab people and, and thrust them before Jesus and say, stone them, offer them up to the people. Like, we're not going to do that. But we certainly might make somebody the subject of every conversation that we whisper to each other. We might talk negatively about that person, even push them away. Because when we, when we encounter people who break the rules, well, we can't have that. And so understand that, that God's word provides us with lots of guidance, lots of commandments, lots of rules. 
that I think are healthy for us. They're there to, to protect us. They're there to guide us. They are beacons in our life that we should follow. I'm not saying that the rules are bad. What I'm saying is that, that to be honest with you, even though we all have these rules and we acknowledge them as good, none of us follow them perfectly. We're just not able. Every one of us has fallen short in some way, shape, or form. Some of us in a more public way, some of us in very private ways. But when we overemphasize following the rules, I think we get people thinking that we've got it all figured out, right? When we make the rules and not the relationship the most important thing, people feel uncomfortable with us. They're unwilling to share their brokenness. They're unwilling to share their sins, their, their issues, because, well, if you've got it all figured out, then I, I, can't, I can't follow those rules. I've broken them already. I'm not worthy of this. And people get to feeling like they can't share their struggles with us. And so I want to address this this morning because I think sometimes certain Christians can be a lot more like the Pharisees and the religious leaders than Jesus. They're more like them than they are Jesus, and they end up using the rules to rationalize how they treat others, especially brand new Christians, and they make it so difficult for people to become a part of following Christ. And I think that happens unintentionally. Like most Christians, when they start this, they go, all right, so we're going to live a life of holiness. And they justify their actions and say, all right, I'm going to do this. These, these are going to be rules that I'm going to follow. And then if you're going to join us, well, we've kind of decided that this is how we follow Jesus, so you have to do this now. And before somebody has an opportunity to even fall in love with Jesus, to respond to his great love for us, we hand them rules. And we beat them over the head with them. But in the end, these, these well-meaning believers end up creating this list of rules that wear out and frustrate new believers. The reason this is so is because rules can be cumbersome. When I was go, growing up, I went to a Christian school. Does anybody here go to a Christian school? Or private school in some way, shape, or form? So a couple of us. I went to a Christian school and there was all these rules. Now again, don't get me wrong. Rules for the school, rules for your family, all these things are good. But there were lots of rules that we had to follow, and they were strictly enforced at the school I went to. Like, for example, uh, my hair. I, my hair could not be touching my collar. None of the hair over my ears could be touching my ears. It all had to be trimmed up for the guys. For the girls, they all had to wear skirts, and their skirts had to be touching their knees. And there were rulers passed out to the teachers to measure the heights where it was on the knee or the leg. They, like, and if it was not right, you would be sent home or mom and dad would come and get you a change of clothes. It was really, really strict, you know. We had these uniforms we had to wear. I, I've actually brought a picture with me today so that you can see exactly what we all looked like. There I am in all my glory. Center, so if you count third from the left, up one. That's me there with my shaded glasses and super sweet turtleneck and cardigan. You guys not finding where I'm at there? I wish I should have a laser pointer to point to it, but I'm there in the center, and all of us looked this way. We all had white shirts and gray and blue school-issued pants that were, like, rigid. You know, you had to sit in them for, like, an hour before you could actually walk. There was rules. If you came to school unshaven, they sent you home or would give you a razor and make you shave. And again, none of these are bad things. These are standards they had. They said, if you're going to come to this school, you're going to abide by these rules. And so that's fine. The, the problem with that is, is that a lot of people that I went to school with, they associated those rules with being a Christian, not with the school. 
And so when school was done, they walked away from both. They walked away from the rules. They walked away from Jesus because the message that they got was that if you're going to follow Christ, you have to follow the rules. And so they didn't get a relationship with Jesus. They got rules. They made this association. They walked away from all of it tired and exhausted. They were exhausted from trying to keep all the rules at school and at home. And again, those rules are fine, but the problem is they had somehow gotten this idea that that made them, the rules made them a Christian. And that's why the rules can be cumbersome, because oftentimes they keep you from getting all that God has for you or having all that God has planned for you. Now back to this woman in John 8. I want you to, if you can, I want you to try to picture her for a moment. Imagine what's going through her mind. Here she is being thrust in front of Jesus. Maybe she'd heard of him, maybe she hasn't. But she knows that, and she learns quickly, that Jesus is her deciding factor. She knows that what he says is going to determine whether this one decision she has made with her life will end her life or whether she will be spared. She's realizing that. I want you to see her maybe wrapped in a sheet, and that's all she's got. Humiliated, guilty, embarrassed, laying on the ground in front of Jesus. Because she's been caught breaking the rules, and this day, breaking the rules may cost her her life. And Jesus kneels down, and he begins to write something on the ground. And they ask him, what should we do? Do we follow the law? Jesus doesn't even answer him. He just kneels down and starts drawing on the ground. Now, I've heard lots of theories about what Jesus was writing in the ground. We have no idea. Some people say, some scholars say that Jesus was writing out the sins of each one of the men that were there that day to make a point that he knew all of their sins. We don't know that for sure. I'd like to think that maybe he just decided to sit and wait and listen to what God wanted to do. Or I, I'm not, I, I don't know. Maybe to build up the moment, make everybody slow down because they were an angry mob. Make them slow down and realize what they were doing so that when he said what he had to say, it would be impactful. I don't know. Maybe he just liked to build suspense. Maybe he was a master. Who knows what he was doing? But he wrote on the ground with his finger. And then he says something peculiar to him. He says, let the first one of you that is without sin cast a stone. And then he goes back to writing on the ground. Maybe he's drawing happy faces or playing tic-tac-toe with himself. I have no idea. No idea. But the religious leaders are waiting for an answer, and they know that they've caught Jesus off by surprise, that that was their goal. They wanted Jesus to say, they wanted him to be graceful. They wanted him to say, no, don't stone her, because then they'd, they'd catch Jesus, and they could imprison him. They could, they could discredit him with all the Jewish people based on how he would respond. They were looking for him to say, well... Those are the rules. When we're talking about Jesus who is pre preaching repentance and grace to people. But he does neither of those things. And he says, if any one of you is without sin, he can cast the first stone. And one by one, all the bullies start walking away. They all start walking away and they leave her there. And Jesus, I would imagine, with a smile, looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you to die? And you've got to imagine being her for a moment. Everybody's just left, but by all rights, she's dead. Right? She knows the law. She's been there long enough. She knows she's dead. And you have to wonder at this moment, is she sure of her freedom? Is she sure of her pardon yet? Because there's still one who could condemn her. He's still standing there. 
She says, no, there's, there's nobody that's left to condemn me. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I think it's important what Jesus did here because I think as a church, we oftentimes look at sin and we, we just kind of wink at it and smile and say, no, you, you're welcome here. You can be here. You're okay. We don't have to talk about your sin. Look, we're to love everyone, but Jesus addresses the sin. He says, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. That life of sin that you're living, go and sin no more. Walk away from it. Turn around. Repent. That's 180 degrees from the direction you're going. Go another way. So he pardons her. He says, go and sin no more. And I think that's, that's grace, guys. Grace is giving somebody something that they don't deserve. That's what grace is. And Jesus gives her grace. He gives her grace because she was worthy. What she had done was worthy of death. He gives her a pardon because she broke the rules. But the problem with the rules is they don't inspire grace. The rules don't inspire grace. During my time at the Christian school at World Harvest, uh, I had this teacher. His name was, was John Gibson. He was our Bible teacher. He's one of my favorite teachers. I have notebooks chock full of things this guy said. He's a very wise man. And one day he decided to teach us a lesson about grace without telling us. So we had this big test, this exam that we were supposed to take, and it was over lots and lots of scripture verses, tons of them actually. And uh, this was not like a multiple choice or a, you know, true or false kind of test. This was, you need to memorize the verses and you needed to write them out. That was Bible class. This was the exam. And so we'd all been studying for weeks. All of us stressed about it because, man, that's a tough thing to do. Lots and lots of verses, page after page of verses. And when he gave out the exam, before, he, before we, we were allowed to begin, he said, I want you to read through the test entirely and then you can begin. Being a rule follower, that's me, I read over the entire test. And when I did, I found something incredible that I thought was maybe it was a joke. And I got to the bottom of the test and it said verbiage something like this. You can try to get an A on this test or you can write your name at the top and turn it in and I'll give you an A. And so I wrote my name at the top and then I waited because I was a jerk. (laughs) I didn't get up and turn my test in. I waited because I wanted to see if anybody else would follow the rules because I'm a rule follower. I look around and you see there's some people, they're already writing. They're writing out their verses because they had them memorized. They were going to take this test. They didn't follow the rules. They didn't read all the way through like he told us to. Because a lot of times at the top of a test it says read everything carefully before you answer, right? But, but he said read the whole test. Don't do that. And I followed the rules and so I was looking to see who else would follow the rules because if I got up then they would know something was up because, you know... I was a good student. I'm not, I wasn't the best student, but I was a good student. I would have been prepared. And so I waited, and I watched, and then one by one, people started getting up, so I went and joined them because I, I didn't want everybody to know I was a jerk. And uh, so, I, so I went up, and I turned my test in. But there was a few people, you looked around the room, there was people that probably could have used that A that were struggling with taking the test. They were trying to, to answer. They didn't follow the rules. They didn't, they didn't read the test completely. They were filling it out. There were other people in that class that got to the bottom of it, read it, and was like, who gets an A for doing nothing? Who gets an A for doing nothing? This this can't be. And they got irritated with it. There was one girl in particular who who took the test 
based on principle. I studied. I know this stuff. I'm going to take it. And so she sat there and took the test while the rest of us played cards. I think he put her in the hallway, put, her, put a desk outside in the hallway and let her take her test while the rest of us played cards and got an easy A. Because she said on principle, and I think that's what fans are. Fans refuse a handout. They say, I can do this on my own. I can handle this. I don't need your grace. I, I can do it. And so fans spend their lives carrying around the burden of religion. Because what is religion? Religion is all that I can do to get to God. It's this thing. I do this, I do this, I do this, and that makes me worthy. But Jesus didn't invite us to religion. He invited us to relationship. And when Jesus invites you into a relationship, that relationship is done. Because everything that we needed to have done for us, to connect with God, to have a relationship with Him, everything that that needed to be done was done through Jesus. He invites us into that relationship. And grace is what God has done to get to us. To save us from the penalty of sin, the penalty of the rules. And the grace of Jesus, that same grace that saved a woman from being stoned, called to those who have been hauling around a long list of rules and regulations that they have been following, obligations. Jesus calls to those who are tired of pretending to be more than you are. He calls to those who have had the guilt and fear of religions that have worn them down and says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught all the rules. You were taught about Jesus. You went to church every weekend. You went to church camp. And you learned to fear Jesus. You kept as many rules as you could. And every time you'd break one of the rules, you'd wonder if you were worthy. You'd wonder if he'd still love you. You'd still go to heaven. You were taught to observe different religious traditions and rule-keeping. But somehow you never really fell in love with Jesus. Maybe that's your story. Because it's really hard when you enter into a situation where the rules take precedence over love and grace. It's really hard to fall in love when you're in that situation. I want you to think about it this way. When I got married to my wife, there were a few rules that I knew that I was going to walk into, right? Before I said I do, and after, after I said I do, I knew there were some rules. The first one I knew was I'm going to have to be faithful to her. As long as we both live, I need to be faithful to her. She's my one and only person. The second thing I knew going into my marriage was that I needed to provide for her. I needed to meet all her needs as best I could. The third thing I knew was to be committed to her, and that meant for better or for worse. And there will be worse. Amen. And I knew that I needed, those were rules going into it. Now, since we got married, there's a few rules that have kind of emerged that I didn't really know about. Like, (laughs) this kind of goes with the territory, I guess. Uh, I'm not allowed to put my feet on her. She says, I have feet like a hobbit. It's just a little fur. It's not much. Jeez. It's not like I comb it over or hairspray it. But it's all feet, really. It's anybody's feet. She doesn't like them. And so, but I thought when we got married and we became one flesh, man and woman, wife, husband, I thought I'd be able to put my feet on her. No, I'm still not allowed to do that. Another rule is I'm not allowed to watch our favorite shows without her. That gets me in lots of trouble. I broke that rule this week. And I got in lots of trouble. The other thing I learned after we got married was that everything that's mine is hers, but not everything that's hers is mine. 
It was actually in our wedding vows where I bequeathed everything to her. And then, then it was time for her to say the same thing. And he didn't make her say that. I don't know what's up with that. That's just crazy. Read your vows, people. Seriously. Don't walk into that stuff blindly. That's a covenant and a promise. But, but if I saw my relationship with her as a bunch of rules to keep, I don't think I'd be very happy, right? But because I love my wife, I find joy in following those rules. I'm actually energized by it. I love it because when I follow the rules, I'm demonstrating my love for her. And it's from that place that I think we need to have our relationship with God, where we engage in loving Him and understand we, can, we follow the rules to show our love to Him. We don't follow the rules without Him, because that's religion. When we respond to the love He's given us and we do that, that, that energizes us. It strengthens us. It gives us joy. And so, in my relationship with my wife, I do whatever she asks me to do. I follow the rules. But you better believe if I wash a dish, though, that I like take a picture of it before and after. If there's a full sink, I take a picture of that crap and I send it to her. You know why? Because if a woman doesn't see you wash a dish, you never washed a dish. It's a true story. Take pictures of that stuff and send it to her. Full sink, empty sink. Then you receive your reward. Lessons for life. Got me, Dan? Lessons for life. But it's the same way with our relationship with God. In the end, the grace and love of God frees us and inspires us to live for him, to follow the rules. Augustine said, who can be good if not made by loving? Love God and do as you please. And he could say that because he knew that when you love God, you will want to please God. But your priority, your emphasis has to be, your focus has to be on loving God, period. It has to be about a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, it won't work. You know why? Because the rules don't keep us around. The rules don't. When our kids grow up, when they get older, if they perceive that following Jesus is just about the rules, they will walk away from Jesus and the rules. They will walk away from the standard in life that you have set because they never met the Jesus that you know. It's more than a moral code. We have to do our best to teach them how to be followers. And I don't mean teach them with our mouths. I mean teach them with our lives. We have to live in a way that we demonstrate what it is like to be in love with and follow Jesus. Every day. We have to define Christianity first and foremost as following Jesus Christ. We cannot expect to recruit the world to a set of standards and a set of rules because they won't come. They've been avoiding it for years. Why? Because when you walk into rules and you look at your own brokenness, you already know you don't match. You don't line up. You don't fit. That's why you must introduce them to Jesus first. You have to. It begins there. I meet with a lot of people on a regular basis. I have lunch, coffee, whatever. I meet with them, and the most important thing to me is to hear their story. There's lots of reasons for that. As a pastor, I want to know, how do I minister to them? How do I connect them to resources that I know about? How do I make them successful in their lives, their spiritual lives? I have a goal of that. I want to be a blessing to you. I don't want to just be the guy who stands up here and talks. I want to be the guy who connects you to life, to community, to all that God has for you. And I, I, I learned that. I learned that about you, how to do that best by hearing your story. I sit with ex-cons. 
I sit with addicts, drunk, drug addicts. I sit with porn addicts. I sit with widows and widowers. I sit with divorcees. I sit with people whose marriages are falling apart. I sit with people whose lives are broken by life. I sit with people who have been raped. I sit with people who have had abortions and their heart is broken. I sit with people who have abused their bodies sexually and been promiscuous. I sit with all kinds. I sit with people who are in difficult family situations. I sit with the confused, the lonely, ex-churchgoers. I sit with them all. And it's always amazing to me what comes out of the conversation. Whether they're a Christ follower or not doesn't matter to me. It does not determine whether I sit with them. But it always turns that way because they know what I do for a living. The conversation always turns to God. And they tell me how they are not welcome. They tell me how they've broken the rules. And how because of that, a church has pushed them away. How a Christian wagged their fingers in their face and said, you're not welcome. And a lot of times, by the end of the conversation, with tears in my eyes, but a smile that I can't hide, I look look at them and tell them, I'll have you. You're welcome at Simple Church. And the truth is, we will have you. I don't care what your brokenness is. I don't care how you've broken the rules. I don't know what your story is. I don't know if there's a Christian who bullied you. I don't know if, if you were in a relationship with Christ and you've slipped into fandom. And you've become just a fan. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if somebody repre- misrepresented Jesus to you. But I'll have you. And Jesus would say the same. I'll have you. I don't know if you grew up with lots of traditions and rules and regulations and you never got, really got around to studying the gospel of, of Jesus. I don't know if you grew up in some kind of religious affiliation where nobody seemed to make a big deal about a grace, but they did make a big deal about your rule breaking. I, I, don't, I don't know. Whatever it is you come from, we would love to have you. And we would love to have you come and experience the freedom that is found in knowing and following after Jesus today. We'd love for you to know him as as Christ and the Lord of your life. So let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to cast out an invitation, toss it out to you. If you've never chosen to follow Christ, today can be your day. Because it begins with you opening to him and saying, I need you. It begins with you acknowledging him and his place in your life. That all, all happens through a prayer. A prayer that says, need you, Jesus. If, if that's you today and you want to be included on that prayer, you want to say, Aaron, count me in. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you up front. I just want to know that you're here. Would you shoot your hand in the air and say, that's me. Include me on that prayer. Thanks. Appreciate that honesty. The prayer goes like this. You can pray it in your heart. And just, you just got to mean it. It's not magical. It's you opening to him. You say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose from the dead. And you did all that to forgive me, a rule breaker. Make me brand new, Jesus. Give me your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to follow after you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. 
And there are those of you in this room, maybe, maybe you're a rule follower. Maybe you didn't start out that way. Maybe you started out following Jesus, but you've slipped into fandom. You've slipped into a place where the rules have become all that you know. You stopped growing with Christ. You've stopped reading your Bible. You've stopped praying. You've stopped engaging in a relationship with him. And if that's you, if you're here, you say, Aaron, pray for me. Would you shoot your hand up? Say, that's me. Pray for me, Aaron. I'm a rule follower, but not a follower of Christ. Father, I pray for every person in this room. I ask God that you would help us be passionate followers of you and not the rules. Lord, that we may experience your grace and in turn be willing to give that grace to others. Help us do this. This is no simple act to have grace for someone, to love others the way you have loved us. But help us do it. Help us be followers of you and not fans. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.